Good morning. Would you please stand and join me as we read our scripture this morning? We're continuing in the book of Exodus today, chapter 14, verses 8 through 31. This is one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible, worthy of making a movie or two about it. It's a little bit long. Grab your box of popcorn and hold on tight. So here we go. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Paheroth across from Baal-Siphon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. 
That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Did you enjoy that extra hour of sleep last night? All right. I'm expecting good listeners today. Rested. Rested listeners. Uh, glad you're here today. We're taking the fall to study this Old Testament book of Exodus. And uh, today we have come to um, kind of the end of the first section of the story. And it ends with a bang. It is, like Greg said, one of the famous most famous parts and stories in the Bible. It's the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And it is miraculous. God parts the water and the people walk across on dry land. It doesn't get any better than that. But obviously, if you, know, if you are skeptical or cynical, you read a story like this and you're like, I mean, come on, like that, that, that doesn't happen. But you would Maybe be surprised to know this is not the only time in the Bible where God actually split waters, that uh, at least three times in the Old Testament, God parted waters so people could walk across. But this is definitely the most dramatic and the most miraculous. I mean, this is the, the Red Sea uh, that parts. And so because there are cynical and skeptical people out there, there are lots of different theories about what happened that night besides the miraculous hand of God. Like uh, there's some theories out there that claim that, um, you know, it was like a natural phenomenon, that it was like an extremely low tide, you know, and, and that's why it happened. There's some theories out there that say that it wasn't the Red Sea, there was a mistranslation, it was the Reed Sea, which is more of like a marshland, so they really only like walked across like six inches of, of water. Um, lots of different theories out there, and I read this great story this week about a pastor who didn't believe in this miracle. And he was preaching this story to his church, and an elderly lady, an old church lady in the back shouted out, praise the Lord, taking all those children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. It kind of annoyed the pastor, you know, because he, he didn't believe in this miracle. And so condescendingly, he kind of tells the congregation that the Israelites, you know, were probably in marshland, so they were probably only walking through like six inches of water when the old lady in the back shouted out. She said, praise the Lord drowning all those Egyptians at six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. So however you want to slice it, it was a mighty miracle from God. And this story is such an important story to the Christian life. If you've read much of the Bible, you, you have seen this story referenced over 25 times. This story is referenced in the Bible, people uh, going back and talking about how God brought them out and how God parted the waters, and it's, it's brought up, you know, all the time. Why is that? Why is this story so important that the Christians, the Jewish people first and the Christians in the New Testament, would keep retelling it over and over again? And the reason is because this story is a real-life example of what happens to every Christian spiritually. Uh, you know, I, I said to you before that, you know, we, 
you have to read the Bible different ways in different times. And sometimes we read it literally and historically for what really happened. And other times we read it, you know, figuratively or allegorically to kind of see what it represents in our life. And this particular story in Exodus 14 is a story that Christians uh, have always used to go back to describe what happens in the heart and in the life uh, of a believer, uh, of a Christian. And it means that if you are a Christian, you have had the same experience that the Israelites had that day, to which you would say, that's ridiculous. I have never walked across you know, dry ground. The, the, the sea has never parted for me. I've never walked across the sea. Oh, but you have. You have. You have. It's so easy to read the Bible and feel like what happened for them was miraculous, but what happens to us is, is not. It's easy to think that your salvation experience, you know, it was boring, like you just prayed a prayer or you just raised your hand. But that's not what happened. If you are here today and your faith is in Jesus Christ and you have become a Christian, then you have walked through parted waters. God made a way to get you out. This is what the Jewish people and the Christians uh, have said and would have said back then and, and said for thousands of years that, that God made a way, that God brought you out. And if you are a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, then God has brought you out. He has made a way for you. And this is actually a great way to kind of test personally whether or not you've actually met Jesus. I don't say that to scare you or to make you feel guilty or anything like that, but I think, you know, Louisville, we're still close enough to the, the Bible Belt um, that it's very easy to be religiously affiliated. It's very easy to be a church attender or be raised in a Christian or a moral home to know Bible stories, but to never have experienced the miraculous act of conversion not that you repeated a prayer or raised your hand or went to a VBS or a summer camp. I'm not discounting anything that you would say happened to you. I'm just saying, you don't have to prove it to anybody else, but I'm saying for yourself, would you say that you have experienced something miraculous, something dramatic that you would say, I was captive, I was lost in a life of sin, I was in bondage, I was enslaved, I was miserable, but God made a way and he brought me out. I wasn't just a person who was kind of bad but needed a little bit of help. I wasn't just a person who, you know, uh, needed to get baptized because I hadn't been baptized yet. No, 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 no. I was a slave in bondage to the power of sin and death. But Jesus made a way. He made a way. And if you are here and you would say, well, I mean, that, that's a little dramatic, Jason. I mean, you know, I just, you know, I... I prayed a prayer. I'm not saying that you are not saved. Please don't hear that. But I am saying that if there's not some part of you that has experienced the miraculous spiritual act of seeing your past as deadly and miserable and sinful and feeling held captive, and seeing your salvation as God miraculously rescuing you and making a way and saving you, it could be that you have not fully grasped the gospel, the cross, and what Jesus did for you. See, this story is told over and over again in the Bible because every Christian at some point has to have a getting out story. 
Do you have a getting out story? What has God gotten you out of? What would you say was in your past, but God has gotten you out? Every Christian has to have one of those. And there are, are so many different things that we could teach about this story. I mean, so many. As you begin to read about, you know, different, you know, teachers and theologians and pastors about just Exodus 14 alone. I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons about this. But I really just want to focus on one part of it today. Try to keep it simple for us. And I've said each week that, 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 that every Christian has to leave their old life behind. That's what Exodus is. It's an exit. It's a way out. And so as we are reading this story and studying this story, that, that every Christian at some point has to leave their old life behind. And that's what was happening for the Israelites. They were quite literally leaving their old life behind. But at the beginning of chapter 14, the story starts and they look up and they see their past chasing them. Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's gotten all of his chariot and charioteers. He's got them all together and he is chasing after them. And so the question that's been running through my mind this week is this, what do you do when you feel like your past is chasing you? What do you do when you feel like your past is chasing you. Have you ever felt like that? You're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to live your new life. You're trying to be a new person, but your past is chasing after you and you feel like it won't leave you alone. For some of us, you know, it's a mental thing. We can't let go of it. For others of us, it's an emotional thing. We just can't get past the feeling. But for others of us, it's a very physical thing. It's represented in some relationships we can't let go of, or it's represented in some substances we can't stop, or it's, it's represented in some actions that are, are cyclical and, and we cannot break free from those. Our past is chasing after us. We're, we have not gotten away like we thought we would, and that's what happens here. And so what do you do? That's what I want us to, to spend our time today finding an answer for. What do you do when you're, you're a Christian, but, but your past is pursuing you? Before I tell you what you should do, I want to tell you what you shouldn't do. And, and, and we see it in the story right here that Greg read for us, that their first instinct is our first instinct every time we feel our past pursuing us. And I want to read it to you again. It's in verses 11 and 12. But they said to Moses, they look up, they see Pharaoh and the army pursuing them. And, and we would have to imagine there's a, there's a lot of trauma there from, from being raised and, and, and beaten and tortured. And they say to Moses, they say, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Look at verse 12. Didn't we tell you this would happen? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. They want to go back. They want to go back. They actually said the words to Moses, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Why would they say that? Why would they say that? Of course it's not. Do you remember? We, we read it. Do you remember what life was like for them? Their, their babies were being drowned in the river. They were being whipped and they were being tortured. So why in that moment of fear would they say, we would rather go back and have the life that we used to have than die, than die out here. You know, this is not the only time they would say something like this. We'll, we'll get to it in a few weeks, but they get out in the wilderness and they're hungry. 
And they start whining again to Moses. I'm so glad that church members don't do this anymore like they did back then. But they started whining to their leader and they started saying things like, why are you doing this? And why did you have this idea? And I don't like this. And it was better how it used to be. Y'all don't do that, but I'm saying they did that. And I, and I, and I, they, they get out there and they're hungry and they actually say this phrase and we'll read it in a couple of weeks. But they actually say to Moses, why, we're out here starving and we had unlimited free pots of meat at our disposal to which we say like, eh, I don't think it was free. I mean, I, I think you worked for it from sunup to sundown and you have scars on your body to show how you got it. But what's happening? Why are they saying this? Why would they say that about the meat and the, and the water? Why would they say this about going back? What's happening to them is in their fear and in their anxiousness and, and in their disorientation, they are remembering their past differently than it actually was. They're remembering it and they've convinced themselves it wasn't that bad. And this happens to all of us, by the way, that there is this like in-between place that you will always come to with God. So God will begin changing your life and he will begin saving you and, and pulling you out. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but it's just a new season where God is doing something new in your life. And in order for God to do something new, he requires you to lay down the old and what you've always known. And so you get stuck in this in-between place where you're not who you were, but you're not who you're going to be. And it just freaks you out. You ever been there? I mean, I have. I mean, really, in the last, just coming out of a season like that in my life recently, where it's like, I, I know that I don't want to be who I used to be, but I do find a lot of comfort in the, in the, in the tendencies and the routines and the dependencies that I developed back then. At least I know what that life is like. I don't know what you're doing, God, and you're freaking me out, and I'm disoriented, and and, and when that begins to happen, when temptation gets strong and your past starts showing up, and it doesn't have to be just like straight up, like hardcore, old, sinful life. It could be, you know, not bad things, but not good things. It could be just, you know, things that God wants you to leave behind. We, they start chasing us and they start pursuing us and we start, you know, wondering where God's taking us and what he's doing. And, and we start remembering the past as better than it was. We do it. We all do it. Some of you right now, like, like you, you want to go back to a relationship, and all your friends are like, please don't go back to him. Please. He's a deadbeat. He's a loser. He's a bum. Please don't go back to her. She is not good for you. You know what you say to him? I mean, it wasn't that bad. No, no, no. It was that bad. Some of you, you're wanting to go back to substances and things that you've forgotten. Like you say, well, wasn't that bad? I can control it. But you've forgotten the relationships it cost you. You've forgotten the trust that you lost. And so, no, no, it wasn't that bad. No, no, it was that bad. It was that bad. But maybe it's things like hurt and bitterness and anger. Maybe there's a hurt and, and, and you desperately want to let it go. But who are you if you let it go? What do you talk about? What do you think about? There's, there's all of these, it, it, it's harder to lay down the life that we swear we hate than it should be, isn't it? I mean, we complain about it. We whine about it. We fantasize about a new life and wanting a new life. But then the Holy Spirit shows up and begins to nudge us and push us saying, leave that old life behind. And we're like, I, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't like it, but... I don't want to leave it either. 
There's something emotionally rewarding about it. There's something familiar about it. And that's what's happening here. It's as bad as it was, at least we know what, at least we know what it is, and we want to go back. And here's what I've, I've learned, is it's really hard to lay down the life you swear you hate. And I love the way Tim Keller talks about this passage, this particular passage. He calls what they're experiencing here bondage with layers. This is so good. He said that, um, he says that you can be free objectively, that you can be free, that God has freed you and you are a new creature and you, you're, you're, you're no longer bound by the power of sin. And so like objectively you are free, but you don't feel free, you don't think you're free, you don't see yourself as free. And so God has to free us in layers that you're free, but then you have to start thinking that you're free. And you're free, but you have to start seeing yourself as free and you have to start feeling free. And so God comes along stage after stage after stage and he peels back the layers of our life. And so what's happening in this story is that the Israelites, they are about four days free. And their physical location has changed, but they don't see themselves differently. They don't feel that they are different. They still see themselves as slaves and they want to go, they want to go back. And listen, some of you are feeling that way right now. Maybe you've just started following Jesus or, or, or maybe it's been a while, but God is doing something new in you and you feel like everything would be fine if we could just go back. Like if we could just go back to how it was, if I could just go back to how it was, then everything would make sense again. You just wanna go back. Listen to me, don't go back. Don't go back. It's not as good as you remember it. It's not... Don't go back. Just hang on. And so that's not what we're supposed to do. Our first instinct's their first instinct, and we want to go back, but we can't go back. And so what do we do? What do we do? Our past is chasing us. What do we do? Well, we do what Moses and God told them to do, and I want to read it to you, verses 13, 14, and 15. Greg read it, but this is what it says. It says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And then in verse 15, the Lord told Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. What do you do when you feel like your past is chasing you? It's so easy. You ready? Stand still and walk. That's what you do. You stand still and you walk. I don't normally give my sermon's titles, but that's the title today. Stand still and walk, to which you say, well, which is it? Is both. You stand still and you walk. Okay, what, what am I supposed to do right now? Do I stand still or do I walk? No, you, you do both. You do both. This command in these verses gives us the perfect description of what the Christian life is. It is grace and it is faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is the Christian life? It is grace and it is faith. It is standing still and it is walking. It is trusting and it is trying. It's standing still and it's walking. So for just a few moments that we have left, I wanna just look at both of these and see if we can't learn what to do today. 
as we're trying to find freedom. First, Moses tells the people, stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. This has to be the craziest advice that they could ever have received, right? Why stand still? Fight, get a sword, run, try to swim, build an ark. I don't know, do something. But we can't just do nothing, God. Don't you see the army that's coming after me? What do you mean, stand still? And, and God, what God's saying to them is like, what, what are you gonna do? They're stronger than you. They've got more soldiers than you. They've got more equipment than you. What I want you to do is stand still, and I want you to watch me rescue you today. This is grace. This is grace. And this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that we are saved by grace through faith, not from ourselves, but it is a gift from God. God says to the people, I am going to rescue you, but you cannot rescue you. Stand still. I don't know about you, but I hate standing still. Who wants to stand still? And spiritually speaking, man, we try so many different things to save ourselves. We strive and we work to be able to look in the mirror and not be disappointed with what we see. We started it from a young age trying to fix ourselves, trying to feel right about ourselves, trying to make that nagging insecurity go away, trying to make those voices of guilt and shame and condemnation go away. And we're convinced that we have to be good enough for God before we can come to God. We're convinced that we have to figure out a way to make ourselves right because that's what God wants. God wants us to get it together and then come to him, but you can't. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot break free from the power of sin on your own. You can try. Here's what I want you to do. If you're not convinced, I want you this week, I want you to try your absolute best with all of your might, everything that you can do to overcome sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Make a note of everything that you do. Try your absolute hardest do all the good things you can do, avoid all the bad things you can do, and at the end of the week, grade yourself. See how good you were. And here's what you'll find. You can't do it. C.S. Lewis' famous line, no man knows how bad he is till he tries very hard to be good. You'll find that the better you are, the more prideful you get. And the worse you are, the more ashamed you feel because you're coming face to face with the helplessness of sin in your life. And so when God tells the people to stand still, he's also speaking to you and me and saying, I can save you. You can't save you, but I can save you. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, preaching on this exact verse, said it like this, and I love this. He said, thou hast toiled and trodden many a weary league of performance and prayers and thinkings and willings and doing, but thou art not an inch better for it Thou hast tried to make thyself feel this and to compel thyself to do the other, but thou art still much in darkness as thou wast at first. Oh, leave, leave, I pray thee, all these attempts to work out a salvation for thyself and with regard to them all, stand still for trembling soul. How, how canst thou hope to save thyself by thine own doings? And nobody preaches like that no more. That's good right there. Here's what he's saying. Here's what Moses was telling the people and what this means for you and I now 4,500 years later. 
is that when you see your past or feel your past chasing after you and you're feeling the temptation to return or you're feeling guilt or shame or condemnation, you don't have to do anything to prove to God that you're serious or that you mean it or that you love him. You don't have to say, God, I'm so stupid, I'll never do it again, I promise. You simply receive grace. You stand still. You don't go and strive and and work and figure out how to fix all your problems and then come to God not needing a savior. You, You simply stand still and receive grace. God has brought you out, not because you deserved it and definitely because not because you didn't you earned it, but because Jesus died for you. Stand still. Stand still. Stop trying to save yourself. But then the very next verse, God says to Moses, why are you standing still? Tell them to get moving. (laughs) What's up with that? Which is it? Is it stand still or is it get moving? It's both. And it's what makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Every other religion says get moving. Follow our rules. Do our steps. Practice our teachings. And if you do, then you will earn a spot in what it is that we are, whatever religion that is. And Christianity does say follow our ways, practice our teachings, but not first. Not first. Christianity is the only religion that says you don't have to come to me, I'll come to you. Christianity is the only religion that says a God already was God but chose to become a human. Every other religion says you're human, but if you'll do what we tell you, you can become a God. God says, I'm gonna stop being God and come be human. It's grace. Just stand still. In Christianity, your standing has nothing to do with your performance. It's God that rescues you. But it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It just means we don't earn anything. Does that make sense to everybody? When God says stand still, he's saying, I'm gonna gonna rescue you. I'm gonna destroy the enemy for you. I'm gonna fight your battle for you. Just stand still and watch me do what I do. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. It just means we can't earn anything and we can't save ourselves. So if standing still is grace, walking is faith. Because God's gonna split the water but he's gonna ask the people to walk by faith. Now, we know how the story goes. So we're like, yeah, you know, they just move across the water. But we're talking 600,000 people here and the water is up like walls. And if I'm in the back, (laughs) you understand what I'm saying? Like they're already through, but my family's back here. How long is the the water gonna stay up? And how long till the Egyptians get us anyway? Because if the water's up for us, it's probably gonna be up for them. And with every step that they took on dry ground, yeah, it was miraculous, but they still had to walk by faith. God will move the water. God will destroy the enemy. But you have to walk. Stand still and walk. Or trust and try or receive and obey. Trust that God will save you, but try to obey him. Not so that you can be saved, but because he has saved you. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, this is your story, this is your life. You gotta stand still, stop trying so hard, stop striving so hard, and trust in the grace of God that has saved you. 
But when you wake up tomorrow, you know what you got to do? You got to walk by faith, not to earn anything, but because you want to follow him and obey him. But I want to show you one more thing that I think is so cool about this story. It's actually in the New Testament. I told you this was referenced over 25 times in the Bible, way ahead in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is teaching and writing to these new Christians in Corinth. And this is how he described this exact story that we read today from Exodus. It's in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this. He says, I don't want you to forget, new Christians, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. This is how the apostle Paul described this scene. He said they went through and they were baptized as followers of Moses. So what does this mean? They were baptized as followers of Moses. It means a lot of things, but at the most basic level, we see the significance of the water. The water. And it shows up all over the Bible that God's people went into the water and when they came out on the other side, they were free. They were new. They had a new life, a new identity. They were no longer slaves to the Egyptians. Their enemies have been destroyed and they now have the ability and the potential to live a new life because they came through the water. And for those of us who are Christians, this is one of the reasons why we are baptized. And I know there's a lot of different belief systems and religions that we were raised in in the room today, and baptism is one of those things that happens differently for a lot of different places. And I get all that, that's fine. But the Bible describes our experience with baptism the exact same way as what he did at the Red Sea for those people. That when we enter into the water, our old life is buried with Christ. Our enemies are destroyed. We have the potential and the opportunity and the possibility to live a new life in Christ that we never have to go back. And when we come up out of the water, we start that new life. We have passed through. We have gone through. The Lord has brought us out. And this is so important in the life of a Christian because when the enemy is pursuing you and you, when you feel like your old life is on your heels and maybe you've given in and you've fallen more than you want to fall and you've messed up more than you want to mess up, you feel ashamed and condemned and guilty and embarrassed, the, the way that you stop that spiral of condemnation and shame and guilt is not to psych yourself up and to look in the mirror and to say, now you get it together, man, and God, I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again. The way that you overcome the guilt and the shame and the condemnation is to remind yourself you've been baptized. And as you read this story, and we will, but as you go into this story, God brought them out and they walked through and they came out on the other side. But you know what they did after that? Messed up and 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 messed up. Annoyingly so. But they could always point back to the time when God brought them through. They could always point back to the time when the waters were split and they came through on the other side. And so as Christians, we have a physical act 
that we can point to when mentally we're spiraling, when emotionally we're spiraling, when it feels like the devil is pursuing us and temptation is stronger than we can stand. All of these things are happening internally, mentally, emotionally in our life. We don't have to just fight the battle mentally and emotionally. We can point to a time when God brought us through the water and we're baptized. We're baptized. Now listen, I don't know how you were raised and it's a long story, but man, my grandfather was always, my dad was always big, pointing out, now, the water doesn't save you. And he used to say that all the time. It's just water, water doesn't save you. And I get it and I believe him and you know, that's true. But the older that I get and the longer I follow Jesus, there's something about that water. Because man, when the devil starts fighting me and pursuing me, I think back to that time when I went under and came up. I think about that time when he brought me through. And so if you're here today and you have been baptized, but man, you are spiraling emotionally and mentally, I wanna remind you, remember, remember the water. Remember the water. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you would say, I've never been baptized, or maybe I got baptized as a kid, but I, I don't know, they told me to do it or whatever it was, you, or you, it doesn't even matter when it was. If you would say, I wanna make that decision because I am following Jesus and I want, listen, go in the water, walk by faith, get in the water and come out on the other side. And every time the devil shows up in your ear, every time you fail, every time you drop the ball, Remember, remind yourself, you've been baptized. You came through the water. I love the way the reformer Martin Luther said it, and I'll end with this. He said, when our sins and conscience oppress us, we strengthen ourselves and take comfort and say, nevertheless, I am baptized. But if I am baptized, it is promised me that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. And so I wasn't, earlier in the week, I wasn't even planning on going there. And then I read 1 Corinthians and I was like, yes. And I, I, so I just, I texted our team and I said, hey, could we set up an easy way for people to take the next step for baptism? Because I think it's that big a deal. I think it's that important. And so if you're here today and you would say that you've never uh, been baptized or maybe you, you were, but long story and you, you wanna be baptized again. Or maybe today you start a relationship with Jesus Christ when you're ready. Baptism is that moment when God has brought them out, but he's about to free them and start them on their new life. They go through the water. And man, if you wanna do that, I would encourage you to take that step. And so we just set up a little text. I think it's on the screen. You can text baptism to 502-754-3212. One of our pastors is gonna follow up with you just to kind of help you take that next step. And Maybe in a few weeks, we'll have a service where we can go through the water. So I'm gonna pray for us and you're gonna have the opportunity to take communion. But as you come forward and take communion today and you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, I want you to remember it's grace first and then it's faith. It's grace and faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? You stand still and you walk. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you receive and then you walk. Doesn't mean you don't do anything, it just means you can't earn anything. And so as you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, we thank Jesus that he destroyed and conquered our enemies and, and, and gave us victory, something we could not do on our own. 
We thank him for that. And we ask him to help us to walk by faith wherever he's leading us, whatever he's doing in our life, we walk by faith, grace and faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you made a way. Thank you, God, that when we come to those moments in our life where we recognize that we are stuck and we cannot break free, we've tried everything that we know to try, but we, but we can't do it. Like we, we cannot fix ourselves. That God, in that moment, by the grace grace, God, we can stand still and receive the work of Jesus Christ, your son who came and made a way through his death on the cross. God, I pray for every person in the room right now who does not have a relationship with you. They've never come through. They've never passed through. They've never, they've never come out on the other side. They're still stuck in an old life that is killing them and they are, they are ready to, 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 to get out, God, I pray that today they would have the courage through the grace of Jesus Christ to lay down their old life and start a new life with you. And God, I pray for those of us who have been saved, but we need help walking by faith. We need help moving our feet. We need help going where you tell us to go. God, I pray that you would help us to walk today, walk by faith, trusting you wherever you're taking us and wherever you're leading us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.